Welcome to Pixmix. My name is Patricia. And uh, my name is Aaron. And it's been a while since we have an episode of Pixmix. I mean, the last time that we did it was with Luca, but uh, here we are back again talking about another Pixar film. In fact, we're having two this year, which is going to be uh, pretty interesting. But uh, today we're going to be talking about. Uh, the latest Pixar film. By the way, it has a lot of firsts for, um, you know, even the 30 years of Pixar, such as the first female director. And we were really close with it, with Brave, almost 10 years ago. But now we have the first fully committed female director. We had a female writer. And a lot of the people who worked on Turning Red were mostly a female crew. And uh, this is going to be a really interesting discussion. So yeah. I, well, um, given, given how brave turned out, I think maybe we should be, be grateful that. So, you know, we ended up with Turning Red as like, you know, the uh, the the, uh, the first, uh, you know, female-led, you know, movie rather than, uh, you know, what we got with Brave pretty much. So Well, I mean, we already talked about this in the Brave Picks Mix episode, but there were a lot of behind-the-scenes issues that we're not going to talk about it here you can check it out on the brave episode but so are you ready to uh be turning red and uh wandering around in the streets of toronto yeah pretty much so well uh, i mean like uh, uh let's head down the sky dome <laughs> okay here we go yeah. Yeah. i never met nobody so, Turning Red is a 2022 American fantasy comedy film produced by Pixar Animation Studios and distributed by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures. It was directed by Domi Shi in her first directorial debut and written by her and Julia Cho. And it features the voices of Rosary Chiang, Sandra Oh, Ava Morris, Hyun Park, Maitreyi Ramos... Uh, I'm going to pronounce his name incorrectly. I'm going to try my very best. Uh, Ramak Rishan, Orion Lee, Wa Chiang Ho, Tristan Alaric Chen, and James Hong. Set in Toronto, Ontario in 2002, Turning Red follows Mei Lin Lee, a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian student who transforms into a giant red panda when she gets into a state of strong emotions. So... Yeah, now, if you guys remember the name Domi Shi, that's because it's the same woman who directed the short Bao. And Bao is about a older woman who is, for, uh, who is going through empty nest syndrome, and a Chinese dumpling comes to life, and she treats it as her son, and she sees the growing pains of her son um, going through his adolescence, and then his um, journey into independence and her having to cope with it. So... As you can see from both Bao and Turning Red, it has a lot of metaphors. So uh, this is no exception. And just like with Bao, it stirred so much controversy where people were like looking at Bao and saying like, what the hell I just watched to all the stuff that happened with the production of Turning Red. And especially when the trailer came out where everything from it looks like CalArts animation to this isn't a universal Pixar film. This is more geared towards like young girls and it's not for me so yeah i mean we already know about the controversies about how turning red was going to be presented and 
Uh, now, a lot of people have actually praised Turning Red for being a very unique Pixar film going into directions that it has never gone before. Yeah, in regards to the controversy, I mean, like, uh, let's be honest, I mean, um, I think people were expecting, they keep this in mind, like, as you and I have already discussed in the past, that uh, this is this uh, another rare occurrence where two Pixar movies will be coming out in the same year, and uh, normally what happens in these situations is that there's usually a good one, and there's usually a bad one, and I think people, I think, psychologically were getting themselves ready to think that Turning Red was basically going to be the bad one. I think. In, yeah, in because Lightyear is coming out in June, and more people have higher expectations of Lightyear because it's a familiar franchise. It's based off of the story of the actual Buzz Lightyear, not the toy, just to be clear, uh, clearing up everything. So people had a lot more expectations of it. And yeah, yeah but also, it, there's, there's another thing about it as well, and that is that, uh, I mean, obviously you know, with Bao, I mean, it wasn't the most best received uh, Pixar short, and uh, you know, you and I are going to go through uh, the other, you know, 17 Pixar short, 18 Pixar shorts, uh, you know, where somewhere down the line when we get to it, when we build up to Lightyear, and so I think we're going to have our own discussion about how we feel it all fits in within all the uh, the Pixar shorts. But also, there's the fact that uh, you know the um, the lighting director who uh, was involved in this is also was was also involved in Brave as well, and uh, also I mean some of the people who were basically like mainstays were like involved in more of the kind of mediocre kind of like you know uh, Pixar productions, and so some of the people who were you know um, going into it were you know, basically had like junior positions, I think, in regards to like things like Coco and like some of the other, you know, um, you know, you know, better, you know, Pixar films, if you will. So, I mean, when you really look at how it's all been put together, also on top of that, like this was all done through the pandemic as well. So it was all done through Zoom. And uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you and I have talked about how the Owl House has obviously come out really well looking at this and other productions have also come out pretty well, you know, despite the pandemic, you know, but looking at the way that, you know, the Turning Red production was put together, it, it did have the it did have the hallmarks of being a disaster, you know, yes. at, at the beginning of it. But uh, you know, um, I mean, obviously, we're going to keep going on about how. I mean, first of all, I think uh, turning red. I mean, there's a lot I do like about this movie, but I think there's a there's some bits of it which I do pick I do take issue with. And so I think maybe mm -hmm. one thing we should do is like, well, let's go through all the movie and let's see how we feel about it in the end. Maybe. Yeah. Right. Now I want to I want to basically uh, start off with. The opening. So it starts off with a narration with our main protagonist, Maylin Lee, and she talks about how, uh, you know, you are supposed to respect your parents because they've given so much for you. They've raised you, they've put a roof over your head, they fed you, and in return, you just basically do everything that they want you to do. And then she basically says, I don't have that problem. Yeah, I'm a <laughs> self independent woman. Uh-huh, am I right? So, <laughs> yeah. basically, but, she opens up like that. Yeah, and by the way, like, you know, opening narration is not new for Pixar films. I mean, Remy also did it in Ratatouille, and then we sort of kind of got it with, uh, you know, with Cars as well, and, uh, you know, there's there's plenty of uh, sto Pixar stories that have, like, opened up with, like, oh, hey, this is the way, you know, the story is, and uh, this is So, it does follow the Pixar kind of, you know, uh, you know recipe, if you will, in regards to uh, how we start the film. So this isn't new. Mm -hmm. What's new here is the fact that, yeah, we, as you said, we basically get, you know, this very sassy, uh, you know, Mei Ling, who uh, is, you know, is, is saying that she's, you know, her own independent woman and uh, now that she's that, you know, uh, doing this, you know, seven days a week for 65. And uh, <laughs> also, while she's doing that, do you notice that all, like, all the uh, the background characters, like, turning around, looking at Mei Ling and saying, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> 
Yeah, pretty much so. So very similar to like a lot of uh, coming of age TV shows like Clarissa Explains It All in which she just basically narrates to the audience about what she's going through and what her thoughts are. Yeah. And but, but I mean, one thing I would say about Clarissa Explains It All and like, you know, Saved by the Bell and like, you know, when Zach Morris does like the timeout skits or like, you know, phrases everything. At least it's kind of like, also like in the Weekenders as well, you know, like when uh, they do the whole like, you know, later days, you know, uh, segments. Like, you know, they, it's kind of like told outside of like, you know, know the 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 stage of the story if you will and then they kind of like you know they they come back in when they kind of like done their own like monologue to the audience you know but yes. uh, in regards to this like this kind of makes fun of this trope which is actually kind of is hilarious like you've got you know mailing you like you know interrupt pretty much interrupts a whole music lesson to like you know talk, tell the audience like you know it's oh hey it's, i've got a lot going on and like i've got no chance to stop and everyone just kind of like has to kind of like just you know bear, bear with it while while it's all going on which is mm -hmm. just, I find, I find that quite hilarious, you know. In, yeah, yeah, story, for sure. Certain, yeah. And uh, also, um, in the introduction, we're introduced to our free, three friends. We have Miriam, Priya, and Abby. So, um, Miriam is kind of like the little spunky one in terms of, like, being very confident. And then we have Priya, who's kind of like the deadpan, um, very serious one. And then Abby is like the firecracker who just pretty much explodes and is just very over the top. And it's actually just kind of reminded me of the Tasmanian Devil a little bit, like uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where she was talking about like let's blow the school up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, the one thing I do like about this movie, like there's, there's times where it just feels very Tex Avery, and it does feel like it, it, it harks back to like you know the Looney Tune kind of like you know cartoons. Which by the way, I have a very soft spot for that because that's what I grew up with. So. Like you know, yeah. and uh, so I, I like that whole like there's there's this bit and that bit, and uh, but I think the one overarching thing I mean is definitely that uh, this takes a lot, and I mean a lot of influence from anime in regards to yes. like you know the characters, the way that they're portrayed, you know the uh, the the situations that the the characters find themselves, the emotions that they also uh, portray as well. Like, yes, you know, very, like, very anime-esque with the eyes and the expressions, and also the fact that. Even uh, later on in the film where Mei Ling actually draws like an anime-esque drawing of um, a somebody that we'll get to in just a moment. But yeah, uh, according to an interview with Domi Shi, she talked about how uh, some of the anime that she was influenced when she was making uh, Turning Red were Sailor Moon and Rama One Half and Fruits Basket, which you can definitely tell. With like Fruits Basket is a very well-known coming-of-age story. Rama One Half is a little bit strange in which it's about the transition from somebody who turns in from a, a boy to a girl. And then Sailor Moon with like the the, uh, the basically like the modern equivalent of what we would know today as the magical transformation, uh, magical girl anime. So, um, yeah, you could definitely tell when like looking at it, it's the most anime esque in any Pixar film ever. I mean, a lot of people even said from last time when we talked about Luca saying that it felt like a Studio Ghibli film, which you know, I would say like in terms of the atmosphere and the storytelling, it did. But if you want to talk about like the most anime that Pixar has ever been in its almost 30 years. Look no further than turning red. Well, I, I won't call it Ghibli. Like, I mean, maybe there's some aspects I would say is Ghibli, but I think uh, in regards to, I think um, turning red, I think uh, takes more influence. I think from like you know a, a vast amount of others of uh, of anime than rather than like uh, you know Ghibli, because uh, I mean you would look at it like you would think that uh, some of the uh, scenes that they create would not be lost in like you know an average you know kind of like you know uh, uh, anime girl kind of like you know rom com you know on, on country roll if you were like you know some of those anime 
series. So I think, yeah, yeah I mean, like, there's uh, there's a lot more influence, I think, going on here rather than just kind of like, you know, oh, we want to make this look as pretty as possible, so therefore, like, you know, we can compete with, like, you know, the uh, the high-ranking Japanese, you know, uh, animation studios. Like, uh, I don't think that's what they were going for here. Like, uh, this is very down-to-earth, you know, in regards to uh, how they do this. But, uh, so, um, I really like how, on top of that as well, like, you know, they don't get, I mean, the Pixar... Uh, animation, you know, stamp of uh, is is on there. Like, you know, they, they when they're doing the cold cooking scene, like, you know, all of all the food looks delicious when yes. they're going through that bit. And uh, so there's uh, the you know the the way that this uh, this movie is portrayed, it takes very a lot of influences, and it doesn't like stick to like one um, you know one uh, you know uh, linear. A theme in regards to the presentation like it takes a lot of exp- it takes a lot of uh, inspiration from various other different types of media which i think is very good so absolutely yeah. you know you know so, you, you know you have variety like this in uh, in in various other films and uh, that's that's saying a lot for saying you know for pixar where we've been treated like a whole round of, all, of things of like you know lots of stuff you know like especially just, yeah. especially in recent years ever since john lasseter left and pete doctor took over where you can definitely tell that you have people who are not the usual veterans who are putting in their own storytelling perspectives into these pixar films we've known about andrew stanton we've known about lee unrich we've known about pete doctor we've known about john lasseter i mean these are the same veterans that we've seen over and over and over again and you can tell from their particular style and what you're expecting yeah but, but the one thing i will say about that that's you know say for example Ratatouille like you know this movie has yeah. such a like you know a, a romantic feel to it because it's in Paris and because it's uh, you know it's beautifully presented and obviously there's uh, this whole the, the whole uh, you know atmosphere of you know Paris France is captured in Ratatouille and uh, you, you can definitely feel obviously with the com- the, the exception of the comedic skits obviously there's there's that but I mean with uh, with Turning Red you get more of like the one thing I really liked when I was watching the documentary documentary after I'd watched uh, you know watch the movies that uh, they don't focus on like one thing like this isn't like Mei Ling being a stereotypical Chinese girl in in this like you know this is a, a Chinese Canadian girl who you know was, who grew up in you know the city of Toronto and so what was it that uh, people grew up with and uh, they varied out and fleshed out the character on what she probably would have been like you know back you know back being a Chinese uh, you know Canadian you know girl back in 2002 and, uh, the, yeah. I think, I speaking, think... speaking of which, the early two thousands vibe is all over this movie. Oh yeah, you definitely. Have, you you have basically the the slang terms like OMG and Bomb dot com and twenty four seven three sixty five, and then you have the Tamagotchi that she wears. You have basically just the essence of it definitely feels that way especially when we get into the boy band for town which definitely feels like something that you would see in like the late 90s and 2000s when um you know boy bands such as nsync and backstreet boys became like hot commodities for a lot of teenage girls yeah. i was done it like uh, in regards to four town like uh, i mean i want to try and stay on the positives role before i go back on to the negatives but uh, i mean four town is definitely a stereotypical boy band you know like, yeah, uh, yeah they- and, the thing is, and the thing that the the, the people who wrote the music for four town and i couldn't believe this this is very similar to when we found out about soul it's like wait a minute some of the people from nine inch eight nails wrote the jazz music and then when i found out who wrote the music for four town it was billy eilish and her brother it's like wait a minute billy eilish wrote these like generic like 90s pop songs for a boy band what 
Well, I mean, keep in mind, Billie Eilish is a genius, so, like, it wouldn't surprise well, no, me. I that. know she's a genius, but I just didn't expect... It's like with what I said about, like, Atticus Finch from Nine Inch Nails. It's like, you know, I would think about, like, oh, you know, metal. But I didn't think about, like, jazz. It's like the same thing. It's like, oh, yeah, Billie Eilish, you know, she does pop music, but she does a whole different range of pop music. It's like, then you have, like, I'm never gonna get my mind. Well, I think the thing with Billie right. Eilish is that I think that uh, she, even though she was anti-pop, I think, at the, uh, you know, at the very exactly. interesting, because she, she wanted to do something different. And I think the one thing that you you have to kind of like know your enemy a little bit, and I think that's what Billie Eilish does very well. And uh, in uh, in regards to producing this, uh, you know, they do this, uh, you know, this stereotypical kind of like you know what this this boy band thing. And like, you know, like and keep in mind, like uh, she would have grown up with some of this stuff herself as well. Like you know, I like, guess uh, that's she, true. Yeah. The, the one great thing about this is that you know most of the people who were involved in the production of this film in itself was like a thirteen-year-old girl, you know, teenage girl. <laughs> Keep in mind, so they 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 they're kind of the experts in knowing how to put all this together, pretty much, and know what 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 mailing and like you know her her, her gang her squad of people know uh, what 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 what's up. So I mean, like it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest that they you know they would be able to know because they would have grown up with this themselves. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, I mean, like, can, can you imagine? Like, I don't know. You can imagine Steven Spielberg or like you know uh, you can imagine you know Don Bluth writing anything like this. Would you oh, like? Oh my god! Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, it's uh, they they nailed this down to the T, and uh, you know, uh, as uh, someone who is a, a boy, like, you know, I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I can't say I've ever been a thirteen-year-old teenage girl, so I highly doubt I could write anything like this. So, like, uh, a I mean, lot of this, you you've had, was... you, you have your you have your two sisters, so I'm yeah. sure that you've probably seen this happen. Well, yeah, yeah, but you know, like, you don't like, you know, when when you're when you're a teenager, like, you know, like myself, like, you know, you kind of like you know, a bit absorbed in your own world, and you kind of only kind of like come across it when you have to like you know you know, ask you know, uh, you, you know your sisters like you know to you know to say you know have you walked the dog or like you know you've done something like you know like you only get a kind of like a mere glimpse of like you know teenage life in regards to you know what girls are kind of like into and stuff mm -hmm. unless it gets brought around the dinner table like you know we go out and like you know they're out talking about stuff you know like uh, it just it's uh, i don't know like it was uh, I, I grew up with it but uh, at the same time like i can't say i was like you know i wasn't you know, invested in in it as much as like my sisters were if you know what i mean yeah i mean i wasn't really invested too much with like boy bands either i mean i would see it from afar because I was more into, like, alternative rock, and um, my sister was more into it, and uh, a lot of uh, people from school were into it. I mean, there was always, like, somebody passing around, like, teen magazines, and uh, whenever I would, like, approach people and saying about, like, um, you know, what are you guys into? They would be talking about, like, I'm into this TV show, I'm into Dawson's Creek, or I'm into Friends, I'm into Sex in the City, and I like... Um, in sync, I like Backstreet Boys. I like 98 Degrees. I like Boys to Men and whatever um, pops and you know stars were like really popular at the time. So yeah, I, I definitely was like engrossed in it. And then when I moved to Florida around the early 2000s, I was mostly in a group where they were into like hip hop, which became really popular at the time. So I would be tuning into like Destiny's Child and I would be tuning into Ludacris and DMX and, um, you know, various others. So, yeah, definitely within that culture, depending on where you are from and um, how old you are at the time, you can definitely see about what they're into and who do they like. I mean, what do they, who do they have like up on their walls? It's like, oh, you know, like a Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, well, uh, various other people. So, yeah, it, it definitely just engrosses in that. And um, uh, going into the story, so Maylin 
uh, Miriam, Priya, and Abby want to get tickets to Four Town so that they can be able to transition from being girl to women because they have such a huge crush on Four Town and they each have their own distinct reasons on why they want to go, especially with like Maylin saying about like, you know, these boys, you know, they're going to be the ones to help us out doing this um, big transition from being girl to women and we're going to have this huge party and we're going to basically have the time of our lives. But then Maylin is like, yeah, but at the same time, I probably wouldn't be able to do this because of my overprotective, very strict, very conservative mother, Ming. So they um, work at a ancient temple and they're able to protect it and belong to them and basically they represent their ancestry which uh, uh, one by, uh, by the way um they also you know they basically it's basically like a, they use it as a tourist attraction as well so like yeah they, they, they use it as a tourist yeah they use it as a tourist attraction because it's one of the oldest shrine temples in toronto and they highlight their ancestor who was a scholar and who had a deep connection with Red Pandas, which we'll get to in a moment. And Mei Ling basically goes there every day after school, helping her clean up and helping her run the temple's tours and basically just being the perfect daughter that, you know, she wants to present to her mother. She's trying to be very um, obedient and very kind and very considerate and passing grades left and right with all of her subjects. So she's basically trying to be everything that you know her mother wants her to be which i definitely can relate to considering that if um her mom is like um you know coming into this country or maybe her mom came into this country very similar to like how a lot of immigrants were back in the day in which like they expect their first generation child child who grew up in whatever country that they moved into to have like a high standard because they never were able to get it themselves so i can definitely see that in terms of like um you know what mailing has to go through in terms of like trying to appease to her mother and trying to make her proud because she's all that she has mm -hmm. so um that's basically our setup for um you know this and uh, then uh, we uh, end up uh, with a situation where you know, um, Mei Ling goes to bed one night and uh, she has this uh, you know, horrendous nightmare. And uh, actually, there was some stuff before that, wasn't there? Like, uh, there yeah, was the... where she was drawing like the anime as characters of a boy that they saw in Daisy Mart um, mm. named Devin, who had like this um, uh, hat and who just had this like really bored look. But at the same time, well, Miriam just... at, the very, at the very beginning of that, Mei Ling dismisses him and then brings him in Town, and then obviously they have. Uh, you know, their crush moment with that. But then slowly, Mayor Ling starts to kind of see, you know, a good side to Devon and uh, yes. probably too much of a good side to Devon. Yeah, like <laughs> the very detailed anime esque drawings of her and Devon together. It kind of, you, you remember that episode of The Owl House in which Amity was drawing like um, herself? Yeah, with, with the that character. Slayer. Yeah, yeah I, I, I remember yeah. that. Good grief. That was. Uh... Yeah. People say that's a continuity error because uh, they say that uh, a, you know Amity is a lesbian, but at the same time, like you know, you don't know what gender you know the Sioux Slayer actually is. 
So like, yeah, very uh, true. Yeah, very exactly. True. So you know, but uh, in, in, going back to the yeah, how many times are we going to do a picks mix where we end up going back to the owl house? Like you know, we have, <laughs> <laughs> good grief. I have to apologize to everybody, but uh, I mean, so obviously there's the bit where she starts doing the drawings, and then her mother discovers them and thinks that uh, uh, she's like somehow like that Devon is in, you know, romantically involved with uh, her, her, you know, her 13 year old daughter, which is uh, a complete and utter you know exaggeration. So, um, but uh, she decides to like you know go right into karen mode and like you know drag her daughter and her drawings all the way to that mart and, and basically humiliate her in front of her uh of everybody which i think is yeah. um yeah i think it's great you know he's like uh, it was way over the top i think it uh, was you know, over the top wait i think it was at the, the same point time, yeah but yeah it was it was the point but at the same time i could definitely see this happening in real life mm-hmm. so um yeah, so that's when she ends up, uh, you know, uh, having that nightmare of everything that's going. By the way, her, her mind is like, uh, good grief! Like, you know, you would, uh, you need some, you need some time with counselling to, like, you know, put all that together, pretty much. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, it is like pure nightmare fuel. Just it's, a, it's, everything... almost, it's almost like the Ring video in some <laughs> some aspects. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you you go everything from, um, you know the 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 mermaid that she drew of Devon like gasping for air to Fort Town turning into flowers and the pandas exploding and like flashes of her ancestors. It is a weird, trippy dream. That's for sure. Yeah. So she wakes up the morning next morning. She goes into the bathroom and discovers that she's now a big red panda, which is yes. like you know it's just uh, people are making reference to Team Wolf at that point. Yeah, that. there is a lot of references to Teen Wolf. Everything from the transformation to the fact that, um, you know, her parents, or, you know, in, in Teen Wolf's case, his parent, was also a, a werewolf and he has to control it too. To everybody just embracing the werewolf when he's really good at basketball. So, yeah, this definitely gives me a lot of Teen Wolf vibes. And also the the kind of ripoff clone of Teen Wolf, which is Teen Witch, which also has her having a weird dream sequence and then when she wakes up she finds out that she's a witch when she reaches her 16th birthday and then she instead of like teen wolf in which like you know the wolf is actually like very popular she keeps it more to herself and then she decides to use it to make herself popular because of course of course and um anyway but uh, and also that has a really bad <laughs> rap yeah. sequence Anyway, but we're, but we're not going to go into that. So, yeah, basically when she wakes up and she finds out that uh, she turned into a red panda, Ming thinks of something else that happened to her when you're becoming a woman and something red happens. And when I saw her pulling out the box and saying like, okay, I got some ibuprofen, I got some hot water bottles, and then she pulls out a whole container of pads, my mouth literally just dropped. I was like... Did Pixar literally give the period discussion in their movie? What? Yeah, and uh, not not only that, she got basically a, a whole bunch of pads. She's got like different like variations of pads as well, which is like uh, yes, yeah, which is kind of like well, you know, like uh, I guess you know, uh, isn't that kind of like you know, what if you like a particular type of pad? You know, like you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna okay, stuck okay, with that okay. for a while. Okay, okay, um, this is interesting because you have no idea about this, so. Um, I had gotten my time of the month when I was 
10. I actually developed really, really early. Uh, it was kind of awkward when I was like 12 years old and I already was wearing a brassiere when everybody else was mostly flat chested. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, uh, so when you have your time of the month, um, it varies. Sometimes you might have a lighter cycle, sometimes you might have a heavier cycle, and you never know because it depends on. You know, certain circumstances, I mean, you can't control it. So having, like, different varieties of these pads, like if you're light or if you're heavy, it's very helpful, by the way, because you never know what cycle you're going to go into. I can't believe I'm actually talking about this. <laughs> well, it's in a Pixar movie, so I think we have to talk about it. But uh, Yeah, that's very true, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, so I'm guessing the ibuprofen is kind of like our, our version of paracetamol, I'm guessing. Yes, um, uh, basically, if you have um, headaches or if you have cramps, because you're going to go through a lot of cramps when you have your time of the month, mm -hmm. um, it is very, very helpful for that. And also because um, hot water bottles actually help with... Um, calming the nerves and um, the stress that you're feeling when you're having cramps. It also helps with like uh, putting it somewhere where you're feeling like the most pain. And um, also when she was giving away the tea where it says like it'll help you calm yourself down. Um, I haven't drank tea myself. I mostly like just eat chocolate because it has a lot of serotonin which actually does help with creating like very good um, vibes whenever I'm eating it. So I guess it's a very similar principle. So yeah, there's that too. So. And, and also, uh, ibuprofen and hot water bottles is what we recommend after watching Cast 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for a completely different reason. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, the, the fact that she was able to go there, it just gave me, like, as told by Ginger Vibes, when I saw the episode Gym Class Confidential almost 20 years ago, when they were watching a video in gym class about the change of a woman's body, about the transition that you're going through. And there was mention of that. And that was, like, was say, like major did, at the do time. Think, do you think, I was thinking somewhere down the movie, do you think, like, in the school, like, uh, they were going to have that scene where, like, you know, they have the like the awkward, like, you know, we get the projector out and, like, you know, uh, have the, uh, you know, have the video showing them basically what's going on. You know, like... Hmm, uh, that's, actually, that's actually interesting. I mean, do they do that in Canada? I'm sure they, they do have that. I mean, maybe it's an American thing. I'm well, not well, sure. Well, I don't know, but, like, you know, it, it has been, like, a trope that has appeared in animation, like, you know, uh, to, like... Uh, in, in you know when they have the classroom like you know they're uh, you know they don't not, not not exactly this topic like you know like in, in hey Arnold for example like you know they don't like the whole projector kind of like you know thing but mm -hmm. I guess that's more a nineties thing maybe than it is than a two thousands thing I don't know but I mean, so, remember Soul by Ginger came out in two thousand so that they pr that probably kind of like still happened yeah exactly. So, uh, actually, didn't they uh, do, like, the whole, uh, I mean, actually, I'm trying to think, like, you know, because we've now had, like, you know, the uh, the time of month discussion in this Pixar film, but I'm pretty sure we've had these, you know, discussions in, like, in other bits of animation, like, was that, as told by Ginger also had that discussion, too? Um, like I said before, in that um, episode, Gym Class Confidential, where they briefly mentioned it, but it doesn't go any further than that. I mean, back then, that was the pinnacle of how far you can take it, because you had episodes such as Pepper Ann and Braze Face, where they talked about, like wearing a brassiere for the very first time so yeah i mean these little things were kind of like taboo and in, in like american culture it's like you know we don't talk about that because you know that's considered like something that we don't bring up which uh here's the thing um it's very apparent when we get into the scene in which when um ming finds out that mei ling has turned into a red panda but we'll get to that but just the fact that they were able to go there they were able to push far and beyond what i've ever seen in an animated 
TV show movie had done where they were able to bring up the discussion of periods and the change of a woman's body just so naturally and not forceful was just very commendable because this could have screwed up and bombed so badly. Exactly. So, um, so basically that happens, and uh, then, but also we start to see the uh, the cracks starting to appear between, you know, Mei Ling and her mother, and uh, that's, uh, that also plays out in that scene, too. So even though we got, yeah. like, the whole thing, like, uh, we got that, too. But uh, then, um, we, uh, we, we, one thing we get, get into is uh, that uh, she manages to uh, find out that she actually can able to calm herself down and be able to, like, uh, you know, turn herself back into, you know, human. Yes, but the, the downside is is that she has red hair as opposed to her black hair. Mm -hmm. So she has to hide that underneath her hat. So she has, she's keeping that up from her mother, from her mother too during that whole whole thing. Mm -hmm. well, at least, at least until you know where she has to basically you know. I was going to say like, was there ever a point where she actually you know uh, took her hat off and like you know they discovered that she had red hair, or was that after no. they found <laughs> was that after that she found out she was turning into the panda? No, that never happened because we have the infamous scene which um, there happened during math class in which when uh, Mei Ling was like taking her notes and then Miriam passed a note saying, your mother is outside. And then she saw her mom outside and, you know, trying to like, you know, call her and she's trying to ignore her because, you know, it's embarrassing when your mom is out there saying, it's me, mommy, you forgot your pads. And then she breaks out into the red panda. And then she runs away, and then Ming is like, "Oh, that's what's going on." We have, and then she calls her husband immediately, saying about what's going on. And then um, Mei Ling is just running home, crying with her red panda transformation. And then that's when we finally find out from her parents that this is actually something that happens to every woman in Ming's side of the family, where dating back to like hundreds and thousands of years, when Su Yi, the reason why. Um, you know, she is celebrated and why she has a strong connection with the Red Pandas was during the war when all the men were gone, she needed to protect herself and her two daughters. And so she prayed to the gods during a red moon and they granted her the ability to turn into a Red Panda. And she used it to protect her family, to protect the village, to fight off against soldiers. And she was regarded as a hero. And so after that, the Red Panda transformation was continued on throughout every single woman in the family until when they moved over to the New World as what they would call, you know, what we today call it as like North America, like, uh, you know, like in, in um, this movie's case, Canada. The, the blessing that was uh, seen upon thousands of years ago with the transformation was now seen as a curse. And so that's why every red moon that they would have a ritual where they would main, they would kind of like banish the red panda from inside them and seal it in like a piece of jewelry. And so that was what's going to happen with Mei Ling so that she can be able to be normal again. And then we see in that scene um, after the discussion where um, Ming was talking to her husband Jin saying about like, this is terrible. I didn't want this to happen to her, making it sound like, you know, this is like the worst thing ever. And I guess let me go back into the discussion of periods again. I mean, I'm sorry for anybody well, who feels you do really that, uncomfortable. The one thing I was, uh, you know, when, when she was told that story and then she kind of like still kind of like acted out of anger, like, you know, I guess maybe like, you know, out of her immaturity, I guess I can kind of understand from that perspective. But, you know, like she was given the context that, that you know, uh, why is she being angry? Like, the reason why she ended up turning into this panda is because, you know, her ancestors were trying to like protect her family, you know, while uh, yes. you know, everyone was off to war. It's kind of like, you know, from that perspective, that's kind of understandable. 
when you think about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It. I mean, you, you have to understand that she turned into this red panda because... You know, it was either that or, you know, the the jeopardy of her and her daughter's life. So she was doing this out of protection and love for her family. And she used that ability to save the village as well. So she was doing it out of love and protection. And I understand that, you know, generation after generation after generation, when that is not needed anymore for protection, it would become as an inconvenient thing because you're going through something awkward in your life then it would be kind of a burden to have where you're transforming into a giant red panda when you're feeling any type of strong emotion, whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you're angry. And then all of a sudden, boom, red panda. And we'll talk about this a little later on what happened to Ming when she was going through that. But anyway, so I, I wanted to go into the discussion about like the period thing again. And I know I'm sorry for anybody who's feeling comfortable with this. So you see, um, back around the 19th and 20th century, having your period was considered to be like very taboo even in like ancient civilizations there were certain things that you could not do during your time of the month you couldn't visit friends you couldn't interact with other people you even couldn't be with your husbands because of this very inconvenient thing so um as time went on when people were having like their that time of the month it was considered to be like very inconvenient and it was considered to be a problem they even called it like the woman curse back then and and even with today's civilization where um we women have it i mean for a lot of people it's an inconvenience but at the same time it's very important because if you want to have a child then you need to be able to know that you have um that time of the month to know that you're healthy for people who do not have it uh, especially for younger women, there's a condition called PCOS in which that it's kind of stilted with the fact that you will not be able to have your time of the month as usual. And um, your body changes with like hormones and po possibly developing type 2 diabetes and with also not being able to have a child. And I know this because I have family members who have PCOS. So it may be a really strong inconvenience for you to have like cramps and maybe even occasionally spotting. But, you know, this is a very important thing that we women have in order for us to possibly have families of our own. So, yeah, I mean, I understand like, again, going into the metaphors about like how the time of the month was considered to be like a curse back in ancient times. And when Ming was talking to Jin about like, you know, this panda being a curse to the family and that she didn't want Mei Ling to suffer from it and Mei Ling was very upset about it saying like I feel like a freak I feel like a monster and that's why she was feeling those things uh when she was having it for the first time because you know she heard from her mother that you know this is an inconvenience this is a curse this is awful I didn't want her to have this did you see how she reacted when she destroyed half the temple so yeah I mean this stuff is absolutely genuinely heartbreaking especially if you are a teenage girl and you're going through the changes of you know you're still at that fine line between being a young girl and being a woman you're not exactly there yet you're going through all these emotions you don't know how to feel about it stuff such as i like boys and my body's changing and you know people kind of just see this as like oh that's such an inconvenience it's like but you're still going through it and now you feel like it's an inconvenience but it's part of life and you need to accept it mm-hmm you see why uh, that one is like the lead on this? 
<laughs> yes, uh, I, I, I know this from personal experience because I went through this. A lot of women go through this. I mean, the, the only difference is that I went through this a lot earlier than most people. So I, I got this head on while, you know, while girls were getting it in middle school. I already had gone through this a few years prior to this. So I knew from firsthand about like what you're feeling and what you're going through in terms of, you know, when this happens you know, how do you react to it? Do you react negatively to it? Do you react positively to it? You don't really know because it depends on the, 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 the circumstances of where you're coming from, your upbringing. What, what time period did you have it in, in your life? Did you have it when you were 13? Did you have it when you were 14? Or maybe you were a late bloomer. Maybe you had it when you were like 16, or maybe you were somebody like me who had it much earlier when you had, were, were like around nine or 10 years old. It depends. I mean, you, I, I, I mean, it is a, a very important part of, of being a woman with that transformation but at the same time it's like when people treat it as like an inconvenience and a curse you yourself feel like you're becoming an inconvenience and a curse when you have this time of the month and you don't know how to deal with it and then you know as adults we're just like oh here we go again with this thing that's happening to me um you know i'm gonna feel crampy i'm gonna feel bloated i'm gonna be a little bit you know uh um, grouchy and stuff like that. Just stay away from me for 72 hours. So, yeah, I mean, that does tend to happen for a lot of women. Again, depending on how heavy or how light that you get it. But still, I mean, it is a part of life and it's very important. And people just not, they just need to stop shaming it. You know, it, it's it's about time that we just accept it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a certain red. <laughs> well, I mean, I was getting to somewhere regarding about the plot of turning red. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed my TED Talk. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, yeah, so going back into the story. So, um, Mei Ling is trying to control her red panda. And then we have her friends coming to visit saying, Hey, Fort Town's coming to uh, Toronto and we're going to try to see the concert. And, you know, she starts overreacting saying, I'm a freak and don't take me because I'm going to explode. And then they accept it. They're saying like, no, you're our best friend, panda or no panda. And then she gets a control. By, by the way, I mean one, her... one, thing, one thing we're overlooking in regards to accepting is that uh, they accept it in like in their own cute way, which is kind of like you know they start beatboxing and uh, you know like uh, <laughs> they have this connection with Fortown, which uh, you know. Uh, by the way, when they go through all of that, it allows her to calm down, and then she ends up turning back human again. Which is yes, like, and uh, that's very that's very important because this is how she's able to calm down throughout most of the course of the movie because of her friends. Whenever that she thinks about strong emotions, she thinks of her friends, and that's because her friends accepted it. They did not just, you know, say it's a curse and an inconvenience like her mother did. So whenever that she was thinking about calming herself down, she thinks of her friends because her friends were able to accept it even before her mother did. And that's a very important thing, too, because, you know, whenever that we're in the discussion of, like, you should respect your mother or your father or your elders because, you know, we say so or that's how it is. Sometimes when your parents are not able to accept it, but your friends can, it's kind of hard to, like, go back to how, um, you know, your parents treated you in terms of, like, how certain topics are brought up. And when your friends are able to accept it, I mean, it's no wonder why she was leaning more to her friend's side because they accepted 
accepted the panda first, and they were able to accept it for who she is, and then when they saw the transformation with her red hair after she turned back to human, they were like, oh, you're rocking it. You look really good with red hair. And then even later on throughout the film, where they were saying, like, you change, and, you know, I like the way that you look, as opposed to, like, her mother, her grandmother, and her aunts, who basically are saying, no, we need to have this ritual so that we can remove the thing that is making you unique. So... It is a very crucial thing that we even saw back in Encanto, in which it was talking about, like, generational trauma, about the discussion of, like, if you are given a power to the casita, then you have to do something about it to help the community. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And there's a lot of the um, moments in, by the family members where they're feeling pressured to uphold the standard by Abuela, saying, you got this gift, do something with it, and then you'll be accepted to the family, as opposed to, um, you know, various moments in which we saw how Mirabelle, when, you know, she wasn't fully accepted into the family, mostly by Abuela, because she didn't have her ability. So it definitely goes into, like, the generational trauma that we saw back in Encanto, where there's a generational trauma, traumatic moments with the family members in which when, um, you know, this panda was an inconvenience, especially with the grandmother, where we'll get to this in a moment, but the grandmother was the most... Um, you know, wanting to see this, you know, the, the, the ceremony happening where Mei Ling is no longer being um, burdened by the red panda. Well, there's a good reason for that. I don't think we'll get, like, we'll get that. Yeah, there is a very good reason for this. Yes. Uh, I, I will admit that this is a very crucial moment, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, throughout the, the course of the movie, we have, um, you know, the girls trying to, you know, help Mei Ling control herself, especially with Tyler, who's just being a jerkwad, like always, where he's making fun of her and just saying about, like, how she's a mama's girl and making fun of the fact that the, the drawings from her and Devin were shown. And then, you know, she uh, had that amazing moment where we saw in the trailers where she was growing really angry and that she threw really hard and almost about to smack his head. And then it almost broke a window. And so they brought her into the bathroom to calm her down. And... And then she was like relaxed, and then they were thinking about like how are we gonna get to Four Town? And so then when she transformed into the panda, because Abby thought that hey, I need to have inspiration. Could you turn into the panda? And then the other girls were like looking at her, and then they were trying to hide her, saying like, oh no, you know she's gonna be made fun of. But no, they actually just went, oh my gosh, she's so adorable, Kawaii Desu. All <laughs> over <love> this. <laughs> so that brings us to the point where they actually find out they can actually make some money off the panda. So, yes. which, which by the way was like it was not a twist that I was expecting, really. You know, like, no, not really. I mean, going into Teen Wolf again, where you know people were kind of like a little um, hesitant about the wolf, but then oh wow, he can play basketball really good, and we suck as a basketball team. Let's use that. So yeah, yeah basically, it, look, where we about, have the one thing about it is, is that uh, I mean, at least for me, is the uh, you know usually what happens is like uh, you know uh, I thought I mean I, I want to kind of address this probably at the at the end of the uh, when we get to the end of the discussion, but uh, like uh, you know there's certain formulas that happen with like you know oh you know someone gets superpower or someone turns into you know x and then x is embarrassing because it's not accepted as the norm and therefore you know i have to keep away from norm because uh, you know norm will make fun of me or norm will treat me as different and then you know the x will then basically you know uh find out that it actually is a, a force for good or like you know a positive thing and therefore you know then normal then accept you know it goes into that kind of formula you know we've, we've seen that many times in movies but uh, no 
he's like, you know, from the from the get go, he's kind of like, oh wow, you know, like uh, this this uh, this is a really cool, sweet, you know, thing that uh, happens of you know with uh, Mei Ling turning into this panda, and uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll pay tons of money to see it, you know. So it uh, ends up being that kind of situation, really. So it's uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I, I really like that. I mean, it, it you know, uh, compare this to like The Incredibles, in which Dash had to hide away his powers, even though that he loves sports. And the reason why they're hiding this, you know, their powers is because supers are illegal. And every time that they're able to show off an inkling of their power, they have to move from town to town, change their names and try to be able to live like normal lives. So Dash was really upset about this. And we even have that powerful moment where Bob was arguing with Helen saying about like, you know, why can't he go into sports? And, you know, why can't he be able to, you know, do this because we know he'll be so good at it. And then Helen's like, yeah, I know he would be good at it but we're at the risk of endangering our families if we do this because supers are illegal and they'll find us so yeah i mean you have that parallel and then you have the other parallel like almost 15 years later where we have mei ling who's a giant red panda and you know in normal circumstances you would hide it because oh no i'm a freak nobody turns into a red panda but then when she shows it off to everybody everybody loves it hmm. So then we get the montage of them basically, you know, basically pretty much setting up Red Panda Incorporated, pretty much, and like you know they have like uh, they take all these pictures with it and they make all this money and uh, then they get they get they make all this merchandise and you know they sell that too. Like uh, I thought the I thought the merchandise was a bit much, but uh, I guess uh, you know I guess I guess that's extra money I guess for whatever they did with it. But uh, you know, like you know like uh, where where were they going to get like I guess there's places you can go to get t-shirts made I guess, but uh, yeah, exactly. You know, there's a lot of t-shirts. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of t-shirt stores and also the stuff that they were making was by hand. I mean, we saw like those little 90s crafts in which they were able to like, you know, put it all together with like googly you know what, that, eyes. That, and was, just that was a good touch, actually, thinking about it. Yes. Like, you know, like all the handmade stuff. Like, because that was a thing back in the time. Like, you know, do you remember like, uh, you know, like one thing I thought they were going to do, like, you know, the little beads that you like, you know, you put in like, you know, a little stencil and then like, you know, you iron them over and then like, you know, it makes like a little like pattern. Do you remember those? Yes, I remember record? that. Yes, yeah. I remember those. Yes. Yeah, I can't remember what they were called, but uh, like I thought they were going to do make a reference to that at some point, but uh, obviously. Yeah, they, they I mean, didn't. there was a lot of like you know friendship bracelets and snap bracelets, and there was also like uh, keychains that were made of beads and uh, various other things. Yeah, like a lot of '90s arts and crafts. Which, by the way, um, check out Lisa Fuels' YouTube channel where she makes some '90s arts and crafts, and uh, you'll be able to uh, understand about like where we're talking about. Hashtag anyway, so. <laughs> hashtag not sponsored yes anyway so we have that going and then tyler um decides to talk to may ling saying hey you know come to my party and um, Actually, i just realized we don't really talk about tyler much in this in this movie have we no like, no no we have not so uh, by the way yeah, no, tyler... no, no, no relation to tyler tussman in monsters uh, work by the way but uh, so uh no. tyler is uh, basically well, not really our antagonist, if you will. Like he's just kind of like, he's more like Randall from Recess in a way. Like you know, he's just like yeah, a, he's just your generic bully, just making fun of Mei Ling, calling her a dork, and the, I mean, it doesn't help much that her mother is very overprotective and just so um, controlling of how she um, has to portray herself. And and that that moment in Daisy Mart didn't exactly help. Especially since he was there and he actually saw what happened. Yeah, that was, so, that, that was a bit convenient, but I guess that kind of plays to the comedic, you know, uh, whole whole thing, I guess, and uh, kind of like just piles it on a little bit more for, uh, you know, Mei Ling to become like more, you know, uh, you know, not very accepting of her mother. 
in that game. Yeah, so exactly. I, I, I guess that kind of just piles it on. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Tyler at the very beginning of this movie kind of is a bit insufferable, a little bit like you know he just really is just this annoying brat that you just really hope that you know you know Mailing will turn into the Red Panther and like you know destroy him in some way, like you know. Which, you saw... which almost did, by the way. Well, well yeah, she, we'll get to that bit in a minute. But uh, I mean, the way that Tyler is introduced, he's kind of more introduced, kind of like you know as a antagonist. It's uh, and uh, I mean maybe I'll probably just address this now, but uh, you know um, I really thought that this movie was going to go in a different direction at one point. I thought I thought Tyler was going to be like brought in as like some kind of like antagonist, like uh, you know American Dragon Jake Long. Like, yes. Yeah, like you know, obviously he turns into that dragon. I thought I thought he was going to be like our hunts girl in this movie. In a way, like mm. you know, I, I thought it was going to go in that direction, like you know, oh, uh, Ty- the the Tyler's family has like you know uh, was like I don't know, like the uh, the opposing uh, army and like you know in the war and like you know the Red Panda was responsible for like you know killing many of his ancestors and now here he is back for revenge or something like that. You know, I thought I thought they were going to go in that direction with Tyler or something like that. I, I don't know why, but uh, I just felt like that was what was coming. But uh, no, you know, like if anything, he's just he is you know just uh, you know uh, uh, you know your average kind of like you know. Uh, kind of spoiled kid, really, and uh, then he just wants, uh, you know, the uh, the Red Pandas to come to his party, so, like, uh, and uh, he's willing to put up, like, $200 Canadian to, uh, you know, be able to, uh, you know, have that, have that panda show up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, um, I mean, he must have been really desperate if he wanted to invite Mei Ling over to his birthday party, just so that people can be able to show up. It's like, hey, come to my birthday party, the Red Panda's gonna show up, so he must have been desperate. Mm-hmm. Especially since I don't think he's, like, really popular. I think he was just, like, you know, throwing this party because he knows that nobody was going to show up anyway because he was a jerk. Yeah, like, I don't know, that, that wasn't really, I don't, I don't know how well that was implied. I'm not too sure. I mean, like... I, mean, I mean, at least it was, you know, better than as told by Ginger in which when Brandon was, when he was throwing his birthday party and nobody showed up. And the reason why Curl and Hoodsy gone in the first place was because they felt genuinely guilty that nobody showed up to his birthday party. And then at the convenience that, oh, it just so happened that there's a mortician party not too far away from here where Brandon lives. Let's just visit him for a few minutes and then we can go over there. <laughs> so, yeah, th- there's something going on in terms of like, yeah, I'll go to this in exchange for this. Yeah. Anyway, so she accepts it, and then when she was heading over to uh, the birthday party, it turns out that uh, she can't because, well, her grandmother and her aunt showed up to help her with the ritual. And but also, there's another he- moment in the movie where um, that you know, Ling and her, and, uh, and her mom, like uh, she, her mom now insists that she wants to be. Keep in mind the, the the way that she's been covering all this up, doing like all these, uh, you know, uh, you know, posts and things like that, is that uh, she's been saying that oh, they're just having like a homework club or something like that you know yeah, and like, like, the, uh, yeah. like, the, like the the math club yeah yeah and now her mother's insisting on going which uh, you know she uh, wants to hang out with and see what see what's going on but so uh, then she blurts out that so she doesn't want her to go and uh, but so uh, before they can get further into that discussion obviously we get the aunts and the and the grandmother mm-hmm. yes and yeah i mean when you have the aunts let's just walking in with a that crazy montage with like oh yeah we're gonna just show off our elegance and then all of a sudden it's like um you know just being like overwhelmingly um just um cuddling over mei ling and then the mother just shows up yeah cooing over mei ling and and then we have uh, the mother just showing up just with like seriousness and then everybody just like stopped knowing that oh yeah she means business she and kinda, so i don't know why but she kind of reminded me a little bit of like the emperor from mulan it's kind of like you know like i know a great deal about you mailing <laughs> so your father's panda <laughs> run away from home 
<laughs> Destroyed the Sky Dome. <laughs> and yet, you have saved us all. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I don't like, I, I kind of go, you know, like, you know, modern films now kind of like, uh, you kind of like throw you a segue in regards, like, they throw you in like a, a loop with characters. Like, you know, they start off like, you know, it's really serious and stuff like that, but then, you know, somewhere down the line, you find out there's actually kind of a goofy side to them. And like, you know, like, it kind of like, you know, it kind of like, you know, throws you into a, throws you a curveball. But no, like, you know, with the, the grandmother character, they actually kind of keep her in like a very serious state. And like, you know, and, yes. uh, show that, you know, she's, uh, she's, she's, she's actually quite, you know, um, even though she likes to have, you know, enjoyment in her life, you know, she does gamble from, you know, as you can see in the movie, but, uh, you know, she does take everything that she does seriously, and even, even in her own, you know, pleasure time. Pretty mm -hmm. much, and so like, uh, I'm glad they kind of like stuck to like that type of like you know character telling a little bit. We, I, I've kind of missed that a little bit. So. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's a good reason why, especially since we saw um, in her introduction that she has a large scar right on top of her eyebrow, and she was talking about how you know turning into the panda multiple times is bad for you because it makes the the ritual even more difficult and the more that you um embrace the panda the harder it is to get rid of and then you'll turn more into a monster and then we kind of got a hint of what we're going to talk about later on that you know um her mother and the grandmother used to be really really close but then something happened a long time ago involving with the panda and they never became close ever since so she was saying about like you are your mother's whole world um, you know, continue to um, be that way and get rid of this panda because, you know, it's good for you that you do. You yeah. don't want to turn into a monster. Which, so. you know, like, uh, makes me really quick, makes me quizzical because, like, uh, you know, like, uh, did they not, wouldn't they, like, told in the story that, like, the ancestor, you know, who originally, like, had the red panda herself turned into, like, a monster later on in life. Like, I think that, that needed explaining a little bit because I, was kind of, I wasn't kind of, like, buying the story of, like, oh, if you keep the, uh, the red panda, you're eventually going to, like, turn into a monster. Like, you you know, it just, it was, uh, I don't know, like, uh, I, for some reason, I just wasn't kind of, like, buying the story. I think, oh, hey, there's going to be a twist coming soon. Like, you know, like... Well, I like mean, that. very, I mean, like I said before in the, the discussion that I'm not going to bring up again, it varies from people to people. So, as we're going to see later on, it depends on how you're able to embrace the panda. Some of them are bigger than others. Some of them are smaller than others. Some of them you have more control over. Some of them you cannot have more control over. So, it depends, you know, we don't know how Sunyi, when she transformed into the panda, how she was able to control it. I mean, I remember that she used it so that she could be able to ward off soldiers and protect the village and her family. So we don't know how far that she was able to take into that. And remember, if it goes from generation to generation, every single person is different in how they're able to take it. I smell a prequel. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really interesting. I would love to see a prequel. I mean, even when you said it, when we were starting to watch the introduction, you were saying, why wasn't this an animated series? So maybe we'll even have an animated well, well, series. Oh, so Who that, knows? Well, well, that was one thing I was going to bring up is like, uh, you know, uh, one of the, uh, I guess maybe we're going into positives and negatives all at the same time, really. So I think maybe we're going to point. The, the, in, the interest, in the intro, like, you know, the, 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 the movie, like, uh, I felt more like they were trying to gun for a TV show series rather than they were actually were trying to gun for a movie. Like, this is something that, you know, you would have seen, like, the, you know, in episode one and like and then eventually you were like you would develop into like you know her accepting the panda in like in like later episodes you know like uh, mm -hmm. it just it's uh, it didn't feel like uh, I mean it's gonna it's gonna be one of the reasons I kind of go I'm gonna go into why I kind of understand why Disney decided to put this on Disney Plus rather than release it in theaters 
But uh, I think, uh, I mean, I'll go into, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to play Devil's Advocate here, I think, at some point. But uh, before we do that, I mean, obviously, we've got plenty more movie to go through. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, finishing up. So, that's when Mei Ling doesn't want to transform into the panda again because of what her grandmother just said. And when she shows up to Tyler's birthday party, she has the, the costume that she was wearing in the beginning of the movie when uh, going over to the, the end of the tour. And then he felt gypped. It's like, I paid you, I'm going to pay you $200 for this. Uh, you know, the deal's off if you don't do this. And then when her friends were saying, like, you know, what are you doing? Uh, transform into the panda. Otherwise, we're not going to see Four Town. And so then she decides to do it. And then everybody's going crazy for this birthday party. Mm -hmm. So the birthday party takes place. But by you, the, uh, um, the bit on the roof when uh, they're, you know, looking up at the stars and looking up at the city, uh, then a Four Town advert plays on the radio. And then it realizes that actually the, uh, the Four Town concert is not uh, coming up, you know, on the date that they thought it was going to come. It's going to be coming up on the date when they have to, when they have to do the lunar ceremony. So yes. uh, she can't. Basically, she can't go. And uh, mind you, this was actually, uh, um, you know, this is actually a realistic scenario that would happen back in two thousand and two. There's a lot of people who would have like looked at date calendars and realized that actually that it's not actually based on that date. It's actually like on a later date or like that date's cancelled or something like that. So yeah, like, you know, and that, that... also um, Abby was reading Toronto as uh, wrongly. It said Toledo, as in Toledo, Ohio. And then she was like, "What's Toledo?" <laughs> Because she doesn't, she doesn't know what Ohio is. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, she so, read. Um, she so read one wrong. week they'll be in Toledo, and then the week next week they'll be in Toronto. So like, uh, yes. that's, that's how she read it. So, uh, how far is Toledo from 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 Toronto? Well, uh, at least a few hours, because Ohio is in the Midwest. Uh, well, not not necessarily in the Midwest, but like around closer to the Midwest. So, I mean, they would have had to drive to, um, I'm trying to think, because uh, did they fly or did they uh, well, drive over there? <laughs> well, 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 they, 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 they sprouted wings and, like, you know, actually flew over to, exactly. to Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. It takes about four hours and 30 minutes to drive from um, Toledo to Toronto. Oh, well, so they probably week, drove there. Yeah, probably. I don't know. But uh, so um, it's then also the whole thing falls because uh, uh, Mei Ling finds out about the, sorry, you know, Mailing's mom finds out about the uh, uh, about the whole panda thing and uh, about uh, you know the fact that she's been uh, you know uh, selling like merchandise and stuff like that to get the tickets to Four Town and so uh, she ends up driving over there and uh, that's at the point where uh, you know where. Tyler, you know, ends up, you know, losing losing his cool with Mei Ling, and then Mei Ling just kind of goes, goes, you know, goes into goes into a red rage and just starts attacking him. And by, by the way, she, the, not only does like uh, she attack him, like he she she roughs him up, like you know, like uh, he's got scratches all over him, uh, you know, at the, at the, at that, and like uh, you know, like he he looks really badly beat. <laughs> up. Yeah. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. Good grief. So, um, the parents get involved, Tyler's parents get involved and they say, oh, they're, you know, she's a bad influence and stuff like that and, uh, you know, and then, you know, Mei Ling's mom ends up, uh, you know, hearing about all of this and uh, then she turns around and blames uh, Mei Ling's friends for, you know, doing all of this and here's the thing about this, you know, like, uh, Mei Ling basically ends up betraying her friends and, uh, you know, uh, you know, playing on with like, oh yeah, they forced me into doing this and, you know, and everything like that and uh, I've got to be honest with you, though, this, uh, this scene is a bit more believable than the, the than the betrayal scene out of Luca. Don't you agree? Yes, I agree a hundred percent. Because um, you, with um, with Luca, 
you know, I mean, she could have, he could have told Julia that he was a sea monster too. And then when the townspeople came by, of course he had to throw Alberto under the bus, but, but why, why couldn't he just say they both were, but no, and he was just doing it out of fear because he was now being accepted in this town and he was liking where he was at as opposed to like being with his overprotective parents. But in this situation where her mother is being very controlling and saying like, you know, why did you do this to my daughter? And this was foreshadowed before because she didn't stand up to, she tried to stand up to her mother before at the Daisy Mart and it didn't work. And the fact that she was in this tight situation where, you know, she had to like keep up her reputation is like, oh, you were the one who did this. It's like, if she would have said I was the one who did this, I mean, she would have disappointed her family. And we saw this in an earlier scene with the grandmother saying, you know, you're your mother's only, you know, whole world, uh, you know, pl uh, you know, do this ritual. So this was built up as opposed to like Luca in which it just happened all of a sudden. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. So, yes, this was built up better in Turning Red than it did in Luca. Yeah, so I just think that's... Uh, yeah, so uh, Turning Red did this scene better than Luca did. Uh, and uh, so I think that's uh, props to uh, the uh, the writing team for actually, you know, putting in, you know, the building blocks to actually build up to that moment. And yes. uh, then you get that. And uh, by the way, like, you know, her, her mom's not doing this out of, like, any spite or anything like that. She's doing it because she genuinely cares about Mei Ling. And uh, you can tell that, you know, when it, it also, the, the, the car riding scene, even though it's very sad, is very beautiful at the same time. Like, oh, it, you know, it's a gorgeous scene, by the way. The lighting it just complements so well with the darkness in the car. Just, you know, seeing the lights of Toronto being flashed into the windows, wonderful moment, by the way. Yeah. And uh, you, you get this moment where, you know, her mom you know puts her hand on her on her hand and say look you know i'm, I'm yeah we're gonna make sure that this is all okay and it kind of feels like you know uh you know mailing's been like in a terrible fight and like you know she's uh you know and she's not done too well like you know her mom's kind of like comforting her saying like oh hey this is gonna be all okay so like yes you know, they, i mean there's, and there's, a, there's something that we didn't even like talk about in addition to like the merchandise that she saw under her bed her grades for her homework assignments were b's and c's and she was a straight a student from the, the beginning of the film so she's thinking that you know her quote-unquote friends influences were the ones who did this mm-hmm so um, we basically get to that point, and uh, so then we get to—is uh, it the, the point we get to the day of like the Sky Dome when you know uh, Fort Town actually are in town? Yes, and, uh, yes, yeah, this so, is what happens. Yeah, so uh, they pay the money for uh, the tickets, and uh, Mei Ling basically goes through the ceremony for uh, trying to uh, rid herself of the Red Panda. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so um, but here's the thing: like you know, she goes through it. By the way, um, I love all of this. Like you know, when she, she goes through all of that, like uh, I guess you could say it's a bit. You know, given the the theme of the movie and the way that it's kind of gone, it's it's kind of like you know, uh, it kind of feels like you know we've gone from you know uh, a Disney esque kind of like kind of cartoons, like all of a sudden we're going into Avatar. You know, like so it's like mm -hmm. it's like it's um it's a bit it's a bit of a it's a gear shift I think in regards to that, but uh, I do like it. Like you know, uh, mailing seems to go into like the spirit world, and uh, I was making <laughs> I was making avatar jokes for this the entire time, and uh, she actually gets to meet her ancestor, and uh, she's uh, actually at that point she's given the choice to uh, say does she want to rid herself of the red panda or does she want to uh, you know keep it, and so. She tries going through it, and uh, she ends up struggling, and uh, then she looks back and looks back at the panda, and then she flashes back to, like, all the good things that have happened. And, like, then you realize, you know, when she's gone through all that, it's like, oh, hey, you know, maybe it would be good for her to keep it. You know, like, because she's brought so much joy, and, like, it's not about being, you know, some kind of, like, red panda warrior anymore, fighting off, you know, uh, you know uh, the en opposing enemy soldiers or anything like that. It's about basically making people happy. And so, yeah. you know, that, that whole thing was done brilliantly. 
I think. Yeah, she is the happiest that she has ever been thanks to the Red Panda. She's no longer like, oh, you know, her mother's perfect little angel. She's her own person. And that was a great metaphor that is brought in here, that when we grow up, we do not um, become the same person when we're children. We have a transformation, and it's messy, and it's awkward, and it can be really complicated, but we have this opportunity to turn into the people that we become, and we have to make that choice whether we want to do it or not. And when she transforms into this panda, and we saw this um, in the scene in the roof, where Miriam was telling her, hey, you're a person that you weren't before. You're rebellious, you're fun, and I like this about you. And she even liked this about herself, where before, she was just like, you know, always on her mother's shadow and just making sure that she does everything that she can to make her mother proud. And while she was enjoying it throughout the course of the beginning, because, you know, she thought that that was what you're supposed to be, but when you turn into uh, that certain age and you're trying to figure out who you really are as a person, not just who you're supposed to be in front of your family, that's when she realizes the benefits of having the red panda. It made her into the person that she wants to become. Mm -hmm. So uh, she um, runs off from the ceremony, and uh, but in in the in the folly of all of that, she actually ends up breaking her mom's pendant. And uh, then she loses c the ability to actually control the pan the, her own panda, and then she ends up, you know, uh, turning into you know the big red panda herself. We're not talking about like, you know, the, the Mei Ling giant bread panda, which is like eight feet tall. No, she is gigantic. Exactly. Like, like, oh my God. I, I was really thinking that, you know, oh, well, she's going to turn like into like a bigger, like, you know, you know, badder panda. And then they're going to have this, this like this scrap through the sky dome. I thought that was the thing we got. No, no. She turns into like, you know, Karen Zilla pretty much uh, at this point. And she basically wrecks the sky dome. Uh, doing yeah. everything that she does. It's, it's, she's like the Stave Puff Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters in that final moment where he's just like walking really slow and menacingly. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the way, her, the reason why she, uh, she ends up turning, or she, she ended up turning that to begin with, is because uh, her her you know the, uh, Mailing's grandmother did not approve of uh, of Mailing's father when she uh, when she when she first uh, came in and that's uh, one of the reasons why she turned into the giant red powder and then you find out that's the reason she's got that scar on her face because of what happened yes so yeah so like wow that that, that was deep you know like uh, yeah oh. especially uh, the the scene we're going to talk about a little later on about you know how, how she felt about it but we'll get to that later but yeah that is just a genuine moment about like um, you know, again, having the approval of your parents is like, you know, bringing in somebody that your family doesn't like and how you react to it. And at the end, even though that she does marry him, the, the mother still treats him like, like, you know, she doesn't really like him very much. It's like, you know, Jin, clean this up. Jin, do this. Jin, do that. It's like, even though that she accepted at some point that her daughter was going to marry him, I guess she just didn't really approve of him that much. No. So, um, we end up with, like, this, uh, so Fort Town ends up kind of, like, you know, starting their performance, and then, uh, you know, uh, by the way, Mei Ling actually ends up jumping into the, uh, into the Sky Dome. I'm surprised no one really kind of, like, asks questions about that. But, uh, she <laughs> then ends up meeting up with her friends, and, uh, by the way, they don't accept her right away. Like, you know, like, they feel, they still feel betrayed about everything that's happened. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I yeah. mean, that, that, that's that, as it should be. Exactly, yeah. So, like, it wasn't like, oh, change your switch, oh, here we go. You know, like, uh, so, um, but also, one thing that was also quite hilarious is that Sir Tyler was actually there himself, and he's been outed now as a, as a, as a Four Town fan. 
So, uh, <laughs> so I mean, all is forgiven. They all hit the concert, but then all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, uh, the mom comes in, you know, as a giant, massive panda and starts wrecking the place. And, yes. Yeah. And it's uh, she's at the point where they can just barely control her. So like all the family members then have to break their own pendants to basically you know uh, become red pandas themselves and be able to like you know control her mom and try and drag her back into the you know, into the circle so they can perform the ceremony before the the moon kind of like disappears. Everything. So like uh, there's that whole. By the way, that was a whole gripping thing. Like I didn't even know that they're all going to turn back in the end. I thought like you know it was going to be oh the moon's gone and uh, you know they just end up kind of like you know uh, having like you know they just end up talking it out and end up having like this big loving fluff fest and like you know they end up kind of yeah, calming I, each other I, I, down. I thought, I thought, I thought the exact same thing was going to happen too. I thought that um, you know she was going to have this like. Um, two on uh, you know one on one, both of them as red pandas, and you know they were half you know she was going to be like mom, you know you have to accept it, and you know you have to accept me for being this. I thought that that was going to happen, but no, it turned out that all of the women turned into red pandas, and then right before the red moon went away, they all banished their red pandas, and then um, Mei Ling was last. And I guess before we get into that, um, that that scene where we saw where um, we saw Young Ming crying about what she had just done with her mother by scratching her face after she disapproved of Jin, and she was saying like, why? Why do I have to, um, you know, please my mom? I mean, I'm never going to be perfect. And, you know, that that's the same thing that Ming was doing to her daughter, where she was trying to make herself 100% perfect as well. So, you know, again, going through this whole generational trauma, where even though that we tried to not be what we were doing to our parents in terms of, like, the negative stuff, in a kind of a weird way, we kind of do unknowingly. Mm -hmm. So... That that scene where she was like walking her towards the portal where she got to banish her, just seeing like her returning from a teenager to an adult, and then we see all the family members coming together, and then um, Ming and her mom, you know, reconcile with each other. That was a really good moment. Yeah. So, but mind you, the one thing that they do is that uh, Mei Ling decides not to banish her own panda. Like you know, they gave her the choice to keep it. And yes. uh, she ends up, you know, uh, reconciling with her ancestor to, uh, you know, because now she's found a new purpose for the panda. You know, and uh, mm -hmm. so, so uh, in the end, um, we end up with uh, they all back at the Lee family temple, and uh, they're doing very good business. And by the way, they had to do good business because they had to pay the one hundred million dollar uh, <laughs> fine, or you know, construction <laughs> fine to basically rebuild the Sky Dome, and uh, they had to rebuild. Wow. I guess they had to rebuild it before WWE WrestleMania X uh, X Eight. So uh, <laughs> uh, that's what it would have been at the time, and so. Um, Yes, yeah, sir. But th this time, uh, you know, uh, Ming allows um, you know Mei Ling to um, go um, go off on her own path, basically. So she does still help out around the uh, around the temple and everything, but she's allowed to hang out with her friends and be able to do her own thing, which uh, I think yeah. is uh, you know a very good place to lead the story. So yeah, and she was even talking about like you know I wish that things were the way they were back then, but. You know, at some point you can't because, you know, you need to be able to make that decision of what you're going to go to and when you reach a certain age. And, yeah, that, that was a great way of ending it off, for sure. Yeah. One thing I wasn't too keen on is, like, you know, she's had to keep the ears and the tail while she's in her human form. He's kind of like, you know. <laughs> I'm sure Ming was just kind of like, uh, <sighs> my daughter's a furry. through this entire podcast and now you bring up the furry thing oh, at least wow. i brought it at least i brought it up at the end of it rather than kind of like making jokes throughout of it so like uh, okay fair enough fair enough okay 
So, um, I mean, I guess we've gone through everything that we like about the movie. You know, the music's great. The music's great, by the way. I mean, Billie Eilish yeah. does an incredible job, and uh, you know, the uh, the 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 the, uh, the graphics of this, by the way, um, look as great as Encanto. By the way, I, you know, I gave credit to Encanto about you know looking really good in 4K. You know, Turning Red also looks good in this as well. Like, you know, props yeah. to them for doing that. And you know, like also additional props for them. You know, basically going through a pandemic. You know, like a, a, a writing and a writing and a directing staff that you wouldn't feel too confident about pulling off a really good Pixar movie. Like, you would you would ask questions. I mean, like, I know there's going to be people like saying, oh, well, you know, look at what came out and everything like that. Let me let me safely say this. You know, we've seen, uh, you know, all sorts of production hell, and uh, we've seen all sorts of, like, you know, productions that, like, you see names appear on, like, uh, you know, the uh, on the production staff, and it's kind of like, yeah, this isn't go- this isn't going to be as good as I think it's going to be, because look at who's in there. But then, you know, also they've got the pandemic as well, and that's definitely not helped anything, you know, having to do everything over Zoom and pretty much, uh, you know, and if you watch the uh, the documentary about how it was all put together, there's there's all of that too. But uh, you know, Turning Red comes up as a really really good movie with uh, you know, and tells a really good story and has some really good you know stuff in it. And uh, you know, I just think that uh, you know, um, I would definitely tell anybody, and I'm not just saying that you know any any particular people who you know having to you know like this type of stuff. You know, I say to anybody, you know, check, check this out. This is actually a really good Pixar movie. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm really upset that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to dismiss this film because, oh, it features a teenage girl and it talks about girl issues. This is the same reason why As Told by Ginger was overlooked when it first came out because it was like the serious show that talked about teenage problems in a time in which we had the Fairly Odd Parents and SpongeBob and Invader Zim. It was just like buried underneath because, you know, it just dealt with problems that not a lot of people just were interested in tuning into. Yeah, you know something i mean these uh, some of the complaints i've seen like uh, one you know user review that i saw about this movie that gave it two out of ten like uh, it basically said uh, oh well it's uh, it's uh, not as a mess of encanto it's an improvement but not by very much and i'm sitting there like if you think encanto is a mess then what what on earth uh, did you what earth, you know uh, you know credibility do you have as a reviewer you know, I'm sorry. Oh, 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 don't, don't even get me started on, well, I'm not going to say the person's name, but you know who it is if you have been following on social media about, like, a particular person from a particular website who called the film Limiting, who said that, oh, it's very specific to this particular group of people, which Ooh, is fine. That's... When- that, yeah. that, by, by, I love the apology they gave as well as that. Like, oh, well, we're going to put some more editorial processes in that. It's like, yeah, you know, this was like one of your top guys. Like, you know, who would, uh, so, no, I don't think you have much of an excuse here, really. Like, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to take a hit for a while. I think it's all they, you know, decide to either fire a couple of people and then put some new people in charge. But, uh, I mean, putting that to one side, I mean, like, uh, don't get me wrong, like, uh, this movie is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's got its faults. Like, uh, I mean, like, uh, for for example, well, let's go through some of the faults I think, uh, you know, um, I I mean, in regards to, like, I I can kind of see why Disney did not feel confident to put this in theatres. Uh, I've got to I be can honest. see this too. I can see this too. Well, let me safely say this: if the story was that uh, you got this girl called Mei Ling, and uh, she then has this uh, you know, ancient power to turn into a red panda, but uh, is uh, she doesn't know how to control it, and so she goes through these awkward phases with it, and then this evil bad guy like wants to destroy the city of Toronto, or like you know, there's like you know, like I was saying before about Tyler, you know, essentially becoming like you know our Hunts girl in all of this, like uh, you know, where where he would try and like you know get revenge on like the pandas 
something like that from like you know you know his ancestors you know from back in the day you know like uh, I think if they had like lots of fight scenes and I think if they had like lots of like you know action and things like that and uh, they basically made you know basically said oh hey Pixar's doing Marvel now like I think if they went in that direction with it I guarantee you this would probably have a, a you know uh, this would have a theoretical release you know sooner rather than later you know mm. like uh, but uh, or if they or if they emphasis more on like the comedy or um you know like oh we're going to have this uh, giant red panda but there's like wacky shenanigans where she can't control it then well, that I mean, could have been they had that too but i mean like no, uh, I'm talking about, like emphasis more on it like you know going like all over the top with it like you know focusing more on that as opposed to like you know the 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 genuine heartwarming moments and um you know the metaphors of puberty and growing up yeah i, I just I just think that uh, turning red is missing that. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a really good down-to-earth movie. I think if you're if you're looking for something like that, I think it's definitely you know very good in that regard. As an epic, though, like you know, um, you know, look at Ratatouille. I mean, like uh, it's a small rat in like uh, the big world of Paris, and like with so many dangers across, it comes across as an epic. The Incredibles is a bunch of superheroes who are trying to make it back into uh, you know the, the big time, and uh, you know there's an epicness about that, and also there's conspiracy and things like that there's a lot of epicness to get into with that toy story is an epic movie as well because it's a bunch of small toys in like a huge world that you know and there's so many dangerous things like that like there's an epic to that as well we're turning red it's not as epic as like all those other movies that have come before it you know like it's a it's a completely new direction I think uh, that they that they've uh, they've gone in and uh, a brave new direction, by the way, which I always applaud. I think you know direction. I think different directions are always a good thing. But I yeah, think and, in, and in- here's the thing. I, I applaud that, but at the same time, I'm also very worried because, as we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, Lightyear is coming out this year, and if Lightyear gets more universal acclaim and more positive reviews from a lot of people than Turning Red does. I don't see a good direction in terms of creativity for Pixar. Well, I mean, keep this in mind, like, uh, I think, uh, in regards to, like, the user reviews and things like that, like, keep in mind, like, Turning Red's got a really good fan base now. I don't know if you're on social media. I know that fan bases is one thing, but money and also awards and all that kind of stuff is a completely different other thing, especially with... Okay. Well, um, I mean, I let, let's 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 keep. I mean, that's far down the future at the minute because uh, at the minute, like, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, we'll probably discuss this more on. Uh, by the way, um, some of the stuff that's currently going on in Disney right now, we're going to discuss in Aaron and Patricia. Like, uh, we don't particularly yes. want to discuss this in Pigs Mix. But uh, let me safely say this: our next movie that we're going to have coming up is Lightyear, and uh, there's even a debate right now whether that's actually going to make theatrical theaters or whether that's going to go exclusively to Disney Plus at the moment, so mm-hmm. uh, we don't know where we're going with Lightyear at the moment, but uh, also, there's something else to worry about about, about about Lightyear, is that, keep this in mind, like, you know, Turning Red right now is uh, turning heads, and uh, it is getting, you know, regardless of all the negativity, it is getting a lot of positive praise from critics, from uh, from other people who feel like, you know, they can relate to this movie now, and definitely a lot of people on Disney+. Plus. I think I think it's trending on Disney Plus right now. I think uh, that's yes. what we're talking about. But so I mean, the fact that this this is turning out to be right now the good movie, like it does make me a bit concerned for Lightyear, a little bit. Like, yeah. And we we don't know too much about Lightyear at the moment as well. Like all we know is that it's going to be like you know the uh, the lore of Buzz Lightyear, pretty much. Uh, yeah, so. and and like we said before, and this happened twice no no three times actually where a movie where where there were two movies that came out one year for pixar one of them ends up being an instant classic and the other one just ends up being really forgettable and nobody talks about it anymore we saw this with um monsters university and no wait i think it was no it was a coco and with um 
uh, Cars 3. That's what it was. Coco and Cars 3, uh, The Good Dinosaur, and um, Inside Out, and Onward, and Soul. This has happened three times in a row in which one movie ends up being really, really good and up there with some of the best Pixar films, and the other one is like bottom of the barrel where nobody talks about it anymore. So let's just hope that these two movies just break away the chain of one of them being really good and the other one being really bad. But we'll see how Lightyear turns out. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I mean I'm mean, i just looking through the list now. So, uh, the movies that came out in the same year, Onward and Soul all came out in the same year. And uh, Onward, we yes. said, was kind of average. And Soul was basically the, the, our favorite movie out of that year. And I think everyone else agreed with that as well. Um, yes. And another mo- another two mo- other movies that came out in the same year was Inside Out, which obviously was a classic, and The Good Dinosaur, which was meh. And uh, then, it was it was a it was a bore fest. It was, and uh, then I think you know in regards to all the other Pixar movies, they all came out in different years. So I think that no 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 no, no. Um, it was um, Cars three and um, Coco. Um, oh yeah, they did come out in the same year. So Coco ended up being a classic, and Cars three ended up being a dud. So like, uh, dis- disappointment, in my opinion. But we we talked about that in the Pix Mix episode. So go listen to that. Yeah. So like. Uh, I don't know, guys. Lightyear's not on pretty shaky ground right now. So, uh... Uh, unless of course Lightyear becomes a masterpiece, who knows? We don't know because we have to wait until June until that happens. Well, I guess we will do. So, uh, but uh, anyway, I think we should score turning red. I oh think. yes, so, that's right. Uh, score time. Right. So, um, I like turning red for being ambitious. I like turning red for uh, you know his characters. I like the uh, the story and everything. But uh, I think there are a few things that do hold it back a little bit, and uh, I can kind of understand why Disney decided to go for Disney Plus route rather than kind of go the uh, the theatrical route. So, I will give it eight out of ten. This one. Yeah, I was going to say 8 out of 10 as well, because they were able to be so risk-taking and ambitious for what they wanted to say. I mean, Domishi is known for her metaphors, where with Bao, it was about emptiness syndrome and independence. And Turning Red was about puberty and change and, you know, going from being a young girl to being a young woman. So, yeah, I mean, for the people who, quote-unquote, didn't get it... Um, you know, again, I, I mean, it depends on your culture and it depends on your upbringing. And it also depends if you're, um, you know, probably not of the gender. I don't know. But um, I think that if you were to just understand from like a certain perspective, I think you'll definitely understand where it's coming from. And um, as for, you know, Turning Red not being as quote unquote universal as all the other Pixar films. I mean, I think that everybody should give this a chance. You know, I think yeah, that... Yeah, like, I don't, I don't understand that. definitely give this a chance. Yeah. I, I don't understand that. Like, you know, if... Uh, I mean, if, if anything, like, at, at the very least, Turning Red ends up being one of those movies you watch once and probably never watch again, maybe. But, uh, I mean, like, I definitely would, uh, you know, definitely urge everybody to check it out, regardless mm-hmm. of that. And, uh, you know something? If they announce the sequel, I would uh, be very happy with it. To be honest, yeah, with that'd you. be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, and if you were one of those people who genuinely did watch it and gave it a chance, but you still felt that it wasn't for you, then that's perfectly fine. Yeah, well, it's, you know, like I said at the beginning, like uh, this kind of like had the you know uh, the feeling of a TV series. And uh, if uh, if Pixar dropped Monsters at Work season two and decided to do like a Turning Red series instead, you know, like I'd be all for it. You know, <laughs> yeah, that that'd be that'd be nice. Thank you. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, I think that's about it. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. And um, yeah, tune in in the next couple of months in which we discuss about Lightyear. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in, everyone, and we hope to see you around soon. So take care, everyone. Bye-bye.